welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists. Hello, I'm Peter O'Toole, and today I'm talking to Ricardo Henriquez of the IGC in Portugal, only recently left UCL and the Francis Crick Institute. I spoke to Ricardo about imposter syndrome. Oh, I hope they don't discover that I'm a postdoc after all and I'm not a PI yet. A study by his lab members that compares him to Batman. I'm not the tallest person on the planet. And seeing his academic heroes battle it out live at his first ever conference. Obviously they, they hate each other. I knew nothing about the grudges they had against each other. All in this episode of The Microscopists. Stay tuned to the end. Hi, today uh, I'm joined by Ricardo Henriquez, uh, which is brilliant to have joined me today from UCL, or should I say IGC, because I believe he's actually running away from the UK as fast as he possibly can. Ricardo, hi. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me to, to be with you in this uh, chat. Uh, it's a pleasure and it will make a nice difference actually talking to you uh, on a more casual level because half the time we meet up it's a quite a serious meeting. It is either serious or with a beer in the hand, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> in fact it was those beer in the hands that I thought you know I, I've got to talk to you on this because yeah you've got some great tales but you've also you've had a stellar career so far it's yeah i think was it 2013 you started your first group yeah so we started in 2013 at, at ucl um it was very brief postdoc before that and uh ucl has been amazing in terms of giving me the conditions to to start the lab and do well so that was yeah, 2013 you start from a brief brief postdoc through to your first setting up your own group through to 2020 already have a chair so you've got professor, professorial gosh get my words out properly position for computational and optical biophysics uh, and now got your own another lab now down at igc which is which is stunningly fast i think right by anyone's uh, recognition that's a fast career so i'm going to work out how you got there and also what what you've done in the meantime juggling around that career because you haven't been doing any nothing outside of work either i think that's a really <laughs> message. i am i am going to start right back uh, because because I, I find i find this interesting i didn't realize what was your bsc in um so i originally trained as a physicist and uh i originally thought that quantum physics and particle physics were cool uh and by the later years i realized that not really biology is much more fun um, and I was actually lucky because my my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, is a microbiologist. And I started realizing that many of the things that I was studying, I could apply to address some of the questions that she was also looking into. So I, I like to think that I fell in love with a biologist at the same time that I fell in love with biology. Also. <laughs> So I think it's fascinating. Almost everyone we talk to, no one really starts off in the field that they've ended up in. Uh, and in your case, obviously, you're now very much impacting life sciences. Uh, I, I notice all your spots that you have today. Uh, I, I've got, just in case you're just listening to the podcast, actually, Ricardo has this great image behind him of a sort of point listed, uh, deconvolved, super resolution image behind him. So I, obviously, I'm not referring to his spots. No. Obviously, he doesn't have spots. This is coming out. Oh, what? I do. I do have some. It's <laughs> hidden behind your beard because I can't see them from here. Anyway. So you did your, your your undergraduate, and then you went. I think this picture here is from you as a PhD student in South. Yes, Africa. that's me in South Africa. So this is a fun story. So so this was one of the scariest moments for me because so. There, I wanted to do my PhD. There was a great lab uh, just opening up in Portugal, Musa Pelanga. Um, and, and he's a, an American South African uh, researcher. 
Um, so I wanted to join his lab. He was doing really cool stuff. Uh, but after he opened his lab, he also had a proposal to open a lab in South Africa. Uh, and he had told me, don't worry, I'll spend part of my time in Portugal and part of my time in South Africa. And I naively thought that would happen. Uh, but he ended up spending most of his time in South Africa. So what that meant is that I started jumping around quite a bit. I, I was doing research in Portugal, South Africa, uh, and also because I was jumping around so much, I also had the opportunity to do some of my research in Pasteur with uh, collaborators from Musa. So I ended up spending about a year in South Africa uh, and most of my time in Paris at Pasteur. Uh, and it was, I, at the moment, it was crazy and it was scary because I felt like I didn't have anywhere stable to be at. But after I finished my PhD and I looked back, I, 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 I was able to see it was amazing. I, I had all these interactions with all these different labs in different uh, institutes with different settings and, and it was crazy nice. Sometimes you just don't immediately see it because of all the need that you have to move around and not having your things put uh, or a stable spot where to sit. Uh, but it was great. I, I, I guess as a biochemist, uh, cell biophysicist, PhD, I was so dependent on my bit of bench space <laughs> that going anywhere else is a big upheaval. I guess that was different for yourself in this position? It, it was. Um, but at the same time, I, I learned to appreciate um, other things. Um, what I mean with that, for example, is that I, I had certain resources in, in France and other resources in South Africa and, and again, slightly different things uh, in Portugal. Um, so, so I started realizing that uh, every institute had its own personality and things that they were really good at and, and that if you planned it right, you could all use it to your benefit. Uh, and that played out nicely. It took a long time for me to adapt to that. And, and yes, the, the not having my stable space with my microscope that I use every day is, um, is a little bit daunting sometimes, uh, but you learn how to cope with it. Um, and it also uh, helps you become adaptive, which is quite important in, in research, I think. So is your first microscope due in your PhD times? So the, my first microscopes predate the PhD. Um, so this is interesting. The, the institute where I'm going to now, the IGC, is the institute where I first touched a proper microscope. Uh, because I actually worked there a little bit as a staff uh, technician in the microscopy facility. And at the time, we actually didn't have that much uh, funds to support microscopes. So, so the mentality was, if it's broken, open it, fix it. Uh, and uh, that's where I fell in love, right? That's, it's, you know, in, in uh, most life sciences institutes, you, you have these beautiful boxes, uh, where you have the interface and that's what you play with, right? Uh, but once you, you open the box, you realize how, how, how different it is the mentality of the developer that is developing the optics and the person that makes the box <laughs> around it afterwards. Because often it's a mess and, and you start realizing the, the, the trail of thoughts between the optical designer in the system trying to cram whatever they need in that small space. And there's beauty in that because it's done to be optically efficient and not pretty. The prettiness comes from probably someone that works on a marketing uh, um, uh, office that draws a box to put <laughs> around the microscope. Um, and so, so sorry, I, I, I started shifting a little bit. So the IGC was the first place where I touched the microscope and uh, I always kept the love for the institutes and I'm really proud to be attached to it um, back again. So when did you, when did you choose to, actually I've got, I've got another picture, I guess if... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's a baboon trying to steal our stuff in our truck. <laughs> so even the baboons have an interest in the microscopes or... Uh... No, no, there's no microscope there. Um, so, so this is a time, so South Africa is beautiful uh, by its nature. Uh, and, and one of the nice things is the institute where I was doing research there was in the middle of a natural park and not very far from it. We could go to, to uh, Kruger, for example, uh, and etc. 
so so uh, I volunteered at some point to do game capture um, in, in the Cougar Park. Uh, and that meant that we could actually go out and uh, uh, size woofles and then collect samples from blood and stool uh, on those woofles. And uh, so whenever we went up, we, we had trucks uh, and etc. And that's, there's always baboons around. Baboons are everywhere there. Uh, and they're, they're, they're super intelligent. They, they, they figured out where all the food is. And, and if you don't walk a car, they figure out whatever way to open the doors. Uh, what's the way that they need to, to, to do? Uh, but there's, there's, a, there's a really funny story there, and it's the reason why I got interested in, in game capture. Because, so, buffaloes there, they, they get attacked by TB, uh, and, and there's a lot of buffaloes with TB. Uh, however, they've learned to cope with TB, and TB is not really violent and, and aggressive for them. So they're still able to have babies and reproduce and, and, uh, and, um, and multiply uh, there. But lions that kill those buffaloes, you'll get TB, and the TB is much more aggressive on the lions than it is for the buffaloes. Exactly. So, so, so the buffaloes were actually killing off lions by being eaten by them and passing TB along for them. So, so it's, it's beautiful how, how you have these tripwire competitive system <laughs> around in nature that, that where disease actually helps out a, a species. And then it's, it's a little bit crazy. So why, why do you think the, the lions crossed the road on that picture? Yeah, go on, why, so, so why did the lion cross the road? <laughs> Ran away from the dominant alpha. And so that's a male lion, and, and there's an older lion not that far away. And, and that guy is scared. Uh, and, and he's after the ladies, but he has to be careful about not being in the radar of the dominant uh, lion there. Yeah, that sounds a bit like the pantomime lion, because it's the one <laughs> behind you that, that has the last laugh. <laughs> anyway, so, after, so after that, you did a brief postdoc. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so during the, my PhD, uh, I, I actually spent most of my time in Pasteur uh, with one of the co-workers of Musse, and that's Christoph Zimmer. He's, he pretty much uh, built one of the first um, palm storm superdition microscopes in, in um, France, and I had the opportunity to, uh, to work with him on that, and he's brilliant. Um, but I never actually, had, although I was a lot of time in this lab, I, I, I wasn't ended up being his PhD student and I wanted to actually spend a little bit more time with him and with the lab. So I ended up doing, doing my postdoc there. But I also wanted to shift things a little bit uh, because um, during my PhD, I mostly had focus on developing technology for super-resolution microscopy. And because Pasteur is a cell biology or a life sciences um, research institute, uh, there was also the opportunity that now that I developed the tech, let's try to answer some questions. Um, so I, that's when I started doing uh, research on T-cell signaling and HIV infection, which by the way, this is a signaling, oh, sorry, this is a signaling T-cell that you see on my background. So all these is CD4 and CCR5, which are the receptors that HIV needs to come in. Uh, these yellow balls that you see here, that's, that's yep. an HIV virus. Uh, this is one of my passions, right? Uh, uh, and pretty much, it's now that I've invented a nail and a hammer, let's, uh, let's put some paintings on the wall. So, so I wanted to start addressing some biological questions with the tech that I had established. And that's what my postdoc uh, focused on. So, and, then, and then came... Yeah, 2013. First day in the job. The picture that you're seeing there, it's me at, in front of the, the main gate of, of UCL. Uh, and I, I, I guess I look, I, I'm smiling and I look confident, but that's not at all what I was feeling inside. <laughs> Explain that, because this is the big thing, isn't it? You're, you're now starting off on your own. Uh, you've, yeah. You've been, you've been cast out, you've got your own boat. Uh, I, I, I think probably everyone feels this, right? But on the first day is um, you, you still think you're a postdoc and you're going like, oh, I hope they don't discover that I'm a postdoc after all and I'm not a PI yet. Um, and, and the fact is that um, 
you know, there, there's not a lot of training for a postdoc that suddenly becomes a PI. Uh, and the other PIs, often they don't remember anymore how it was your first day. So, so there's a lot of things that people assume that you know, but you're just starting with the job and you don't know anything. Um, so, so, so you still want to show the confidence, but at the same time you're going like, can someone help me? <laughs> Tell me how this works. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, 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 I uh, now it feels like a long time, although it hasn't been. And uh, uh, it, it was a, a brilliant day. I, I was so nervous and so happy at the same time. So, did you, am I right? Did you, uh, one of your first grants, what was one of your first grants that you actually attained? So, the, the BBSRC New Investigator Research Grant. Um, so, uh, there I was proposing to develop a new type of probes, uh, which we call the time beacons. That's now we call them super beacons, and they just got published uh, a few months back. Well, so, so wait, so, so, so you started this back in 2013? Yeah, yeah. And it's now 2020 and it's just got published? Yes. <laughs> That's so, lovely, that just about sums up science, doesn't <laughs> it? Published so much in, in the in-between time, but what you started off doing, as we just heard, it's taken you seven years to get that, that initial idea that really set your track off. E even more, I would say. <laughs> because the, the, the super beacons, uh, they are actually based on some first um, experiments that I did and saw during my PhD. Um, so, so first thing in the PhD, I then started to decently work on it during the beginning of my lab, and it just got published. And, and, and you know, you often think of, of these experiments as, oh, it will take me six months. Uh, <laughs> then it's years <laughs> until you, you finish up. And meanwhile, stuff that were plan B suddenly becomes something enormous that, that works extremely well. But, but for you, it was just a, an on-the-site um, project. So it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and sometimes I laugh a little bit when we write projects for PG students, where, where you, know, you make a plan for three years with, here's what you're going to do uh, every three months, and, and here's the, the checkboxes for it. Um, and it never plans out like that. Uh, and science shouldn't plan out like that. It would be just too boring if you knew exactly the road that you're going to take from A to B. Uh, and it's one of the fun things, right, that you end up uh, in many side streets to what you want to do initially, and those side streets have beautiful views and beautiful stories to tell also. So, so, okay, so let me take you back. As a child, what did you want to be? What was your dream as a child? Ooh, um, maybe, maybe that's not the most exciting answer I'm going to give you, but, but here it goes. I, I have an interesting family where uh, my, I have two, uh, two male brothers and, and my parents always pitted uh, us against each other uh, in terms of who, who will do better and who will be the smartest one. Um, and my older brother, Paul, he fell in love with physics and, and I fell in love with competition with him. Uh, so, so I kind of followed his track and, and always tried to do as well, uh, uh, never better, that's never what I went at it, but I always wanted to do, I always wanted to make him proud and I always wanted to make my parents proud. But I guess that's how I ended up going into physics. But I, uh, I'm also fortunate because I realized that there was a sudden passion for biology that came out of it. There is one thing that I really know, which is I was always taken by patterns. Uh, I'm the kind of person that if there's an old clock in the room going tick, tack, it gets me crazy because it's the only thing I can focus on. And, and, and I have to take that out of the way. And any repetitive sounds, it, it just gets stuck in my mind. And the, the, I, I started uh, being annoyed by that, but also loving it. And, and I had an initial passion for music. And, and as a kid, at, at some point, I really wanted to be a musician or a music writer, to be more specific. Um, and, and I think that tendency to go after patterns, it's what led me to do artificial vision at the end, which is 
pretty much what I do with biology and physics. I, I detect patterns uh, in images which represent cell behavior, and and the repetitive behavior of cells ends up being patterns. Yeah. And and I think I always had that that tendency to go after that. That's that the thing that always feels natural or that attracts my attention at the end of the day. So so it wasn't competition per se with your brother. You were very careful to say you were not competing against him, but always wanted to do as well as one of your brothers. Uh, was that like that outside of your work ambitions? Did you do any sports or hobbies together? Uh, ooh, good question. Um, never to to uh, to a proper level where we do it on repetitive basis, etc. But but even in sports, we would compete uh, with uh, each other. Um, but the the you know when you have older brothers, they will normally be the ones that will always win because they're more physically fit, they're older than you, uh, and they will do better. Uh, so 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 my goal was always trying to do as well <laughs> as them. There is one thing that I was always proud of, which is uh, I had severe asthma as a kid, uh, and because of that, I always actually tried to learn tricks to hold my breath. Uh, as a relaxing exercise. Uh, but holding my breath uh, in a swimming pool is one of the things that I love the most, particularly because it will at times scare the, the, the guards that are there. Um, but the, the, it's, Only it's not floating because it's always. <laughs> but the, the, it's the only thing where I, uh, I was easily able to, to do slightly better than my brothers. I, I could you know, just swim underwater for five minutes uh, without having to take a breath. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a long time. Yeah, I, I practiced every day. I remember when I was in France that I would hold breaths between um, tube stops, uh, which in, in Paris, it would be about two minutes and a half between tube stops. Uh, so the tr trick would be to see if I could hold breath in between two tube stops or if I could hold on to a third one or not. Um, I think at times it would scare off people. <laughs> you must have been get you must you get that sort of involuntary movements to start with, don't you? As, as you're holding your breath, and then I guess that calms down after that. But surely when you get there, there's this big outlet of breath when, when you pull up at the stop. You must have got some strange looks. I, I yes, I think I did. But you know what? It's it's a great calming exercise because you will only be able to hold your breath for a long time if you fully relax and, and slow down your heartbeats and, and take it from there. And, and it, it's super useful, right? It's useful when, when you're about to read the paper of what happened to your paper or to your grant. <laughs> it's, it's even useful when you're having a baby uh, because uh, I was doing breathing exercises in parallel to my life. <laughs> what, just to outcompete your wife? You were competing against your wife? <laughs> I was just trying to relax. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you told her? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's, just, that's brilliant. Utterly brilliant. So bringing on to that, so you've got two children. Uh, so obviously your first one was inspired by your work. Uh, so yeah. So, so she's called? Iris. Iris. Brilliant. <laughs> So, so Iris had um, uh, a couple of meanings to, to, uh, uh, for us. One, one of the meanings was, and I told my wife, I, I made a joke and say, don't tell my wife about this. Uh, but we, we had it from the beginning. That is also a part of Microsoft. Uh, uh, you would normally call it uh, an annulus or uh, a diaphragm, uh, but another name for it is, is Iris. Um, the other meaning for, for it is that it's also um, uh, one of the Greek goddesses, uh, which is the one that's, or demigod, that carries the message uh, from, from God. Uh, and the interesting thing is, I, I often wonder who has the most power, if it would be a god or the messenger of God that actually takes his message to, to uh, whoever is here. And, and to, to a large degree, as a scientist, you kind of, are trying to be the messenger of nature. You're trying to explain how, how nature works. And, and you, for good or evil, you have a, some, some say in how that message is interpreted and carried uh, across. So, so this, this is, I think, is this Iris? 
That's Aris. Picture here. <laughs> so she's in our lab in this picture. Um, she's playing with Lego. Uh, and, and you know this, but some, maybe some of the listeners don't. Uh, we actually use Lego a lot in lab to build uh, um, hardware for, for microscopy. Um, we particularly use it to build microfluidic systems. Um, there you go. Here's the design of one. So this is and, a design, and I think if I'm right... Oh. Yeah, that's it. That's the microfluidic array in Lego working. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a really fun story behind it. The, the reason why I got it was, um, why I started doing this was because uh, I once wrote a grant uh, around using microfluidics to, to study some biological processes. Um, the grant got rejected, and the grant was to, to fund a microfluidic array that we, used, we would use in experiments. It got rejected over Christmas while I was seeing my niece playing with Lego, my old Lego. Uh, and and I was annoyed that the grant got rejected, but in the back of my mind, I started thinking, what is a syringe pump and what do you need to make a syringe pump array? And then I realized, well, this is pretty simple mechanics and we can likely do it in Lego. Uh, so we decided to, to, to do it. And I remember when I first told this idea to, to, to Pedro, the PhD student that was then going to work with me in terms of developing it, he, he was a little bit scary, scared, uh, because he, he thought no one would ever take it seriously, uh, because they would see it as a toy, not as a scientific device. Um, and and uh, I, I think it took a while for him to, to be convinced, but then he was fully on board and did some amazing designs that extended some ideas, and uh, we got it working. And, and it's beautiful that there's a few labs in the world uh, using the design for their own experiments. And this, this was called Pumpy, was that right? Pumpy, Pumpy McPumpface. We yeah. didn't have enough courage to put that name on the publication. <laughs> we call it Nanojapolitics on the publication, but everyone knows it's Pumpy. Yeah. So, so, so Iris would go play to our, to our lab, we would be building this kit in Lego, and she would see the Lego there and she would want to play. Uh, which was great, but also I had to try to explain to her that what I was doing with Lego was both play and work. Uh, and, and it can be at times difficult to, to, to distinguish the two. Cheap parts, cheap labor. This is what you do if you don't get one of your grants that are successful. You just kind of put <laughs> in very young children. I, I, I like to say that uh, the, the Pumpy is so easy to build that the 14-year-olds can do it, unless you're Iris. If you're Iris, at four, you can easily build a <laughs> And Have you never gone to Lego and asked for sponsorship to help research and develop this? We, we did a few times. Uh, we didn't um, get uh, much feedback from them, but they also understand why. I, I think they get you know, probably hundreds. Uh, of bits from other people in the world uh, going after them. Uh, notwithstanding, uh, I had the pleasure to, to have some of the people behind the Lego uh, founding family coming to visit the creek. Uh, and, uh, and it was uh, completely random by nature. They, they were interested in uh, investing into research and they were interested in what uh, they were doing at the creek in terms of improving. Uh, and we had the, the chance to show uh, Pumpy uh, to them, and uh, they were very proud that uh, that Lego was being used to do research. It didn't pan out to, for anything beyond that, <laughs> but, uh, but it was nice to to show that you know that uh, their, their family uh, is helping us doing research at the end of the day. So, so, so that was a Christmas gift come early is not getting your grants and actually then having huge success. Yep. Uh, through that side. So I'm going to ask you some quick questions then. What's your favorite Christmas film? Favorite Christmas film? Ooh, uh, Die Hard. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I seem to recall that now. <laughs> Every year we watch Die Hard as a, as a family. I'm not sure you've shown it Irish yet. It's a bit younger maybe. No, I, 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 I haven't. Uh... But you know, I, I, uh, I Die Hard when it came out, it hit exactly that that age where I was maybe 
don't know, uh, yeah, I was a teenager at the time, right? And and it, it rings a bell in in a little bit, you know, uh, gunslinger fighting the world alone, barefooted, uh, trying to get the bad guys out. And, and as a teenager, you're trying to establish yourself, and you see the the, the world as something trying to push you back, and and there's this guy that you know just has the courage to go for it, and and that's kind of it becomes a little bit like a role model. <laughs> Maybe not a perfect role model, but when you're a kid, you, you, you use what you get, <laughs> right? I'm going to come back to these quick questions. Could you say that he's a role model? And I, I've just got to look down here. I hope I have this picture of you. I'm, I'm searching through it frantically and failing miserably to find the picture I want. Oh, that's shocking. I'm sure I had a picture of you dressed as Batman. <laughs> So, tell me about that. In fact, I had several pictures of you as Batman. Oh, that's... Got it. (laughs) I'll be Superman. (laughs) You can be Batman. So, so, um, the the LMCD, the the institute at at UCL where I work, or the department at UCL where I I worked, it was super fun. They, they had cocktail uh, uh, days or cocktail hours uh, once every month on a Friday, and it would have a topic, right? And um, and the ones that are organizing the cocktail time is the art ones that set the topic. Uh, and uh, when we were organizing, Jason and I, when we started to organize a topic, we were like wait, this can be a chance for us to dress up as our favorite characters. <laughs> so so he, he went Superman, I went Batman, and, and we're, you know, exactly like in the movie, we're, we're, we're uh, best friends always trying to step on each other's toes. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Batman is... It's cool. It's, he's very weird, right? Because he's just a rich guy destroying half of the city. To, to help fight crime and he might make more damage than the, 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 the people that are committing the crime themselves. Uh, but, but again, the, the courage of a person trying to change the world is something that we can all empathize to. So is he your, would you argue he's your favorite superhero? Yeah. I, I have, no, it's, Maybe Spider-Man would be. I, I think uh, Batman is the coolest. There is, you know, when you start thinking about it and, and start thinking about all the crazy stuff that Batman does that is incorrect, and most people don't notice, it starts eating on your soul a little bit. Uh, and and, and may, maybe uh, Spider-Man, you know, he's a scientist. He's, he's figuring out how to amplify his powers. He's trying not to damage anyone. He's caring about his family. Uh, he's caring about his work at the same time, trying to crime fight, uh, to fight crime. Um, so he's he's pretty cool, but I think I still prefer to dress as Batman. I yeah, I, 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 I'm a diehard <laughs> Batman fan. So I, I, I put two films together: diehard Batman for, fan <laughs> for sure. And uh, so, which one, Michael uh, Michael Keaton or Christian Bale as the best Batman? And the others are just out, but they're just not in the equation. I don't think. Michael Keaton. Uh, I, I mean, Christian Bell is outstanding, but but in all sincerity, you shouldn't take Batman too serious. It, it's not yeah, the, the movie. The first, first Batman with Michael Keaton was was the film. And look, for me, look at the, it, it was a great film. Uh, Michael Keaton was was great, but the 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 music. Um, oh, from Prince. From, Pri- from Prince. I mean, it was super oh. nice. It was so in the mood of, or, or it set the mood of the film so nicely uh, that that's, it's, it, it all connected uh, together. You know, it feels like the, the latest Batman's, they're, they're, they're action movies, uh, while the first ones were more like action comedy. Uh, and and I, I really enjoyed that. They're thinking about action comedy. Take it. <laughs> Take it. Your lab made this, did they? Yes, yes. They, 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 they put you. It's Lego Bat. You're just a little bit bigger than Lego Batman. Uh, yeah. Else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, yeah. I, I'm not the tallest person on the planet. <laughs> that would be uh, the, the, the one of the smallest Batmans um, ever. Um, 
and there's something else about this is your head is disproportionately bigger than any other batman now is this your lab having a dig at you <laughs> <laughs> yes i i think i, I think as as a pio I might have a big head at times and and <laughs> they're just trying to highlight all the features that that should be there uh if i was if i was batman i don't I, well, i've never seen the big headed side of you and that 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 is for sure uh i've been in some meetings where, where i'm in awe of you and you know i've seen a lot of your work firsthand it, before it goes public or anything else and it has been inspiring and, and certainly it's never come over as that I, I think you said at the start that imposter syndrome when you start I've never seen you overconfident in any of these and worried, I think. When you put a grant application, I've seen you worried about how it's going to do, how it's going to be, has someone picked a hole in it? Is it right? Is it wrong? Is this what's really wanted? And, but a lot of your research has really been to make our jobs easier. Uh, you know, it's never been about being clever about using your talents and your group's talents. It's always been about them solving problems to make it easier for the biologist, the end user. Uh, I think that's really, I think that in itself, keeping it simple for the user is really smart, uh, which is what you've done so successfully. And we've, we've met each other on I, I, how many different panel meetings? Maybe four or five. Uh, Quite a lot <laughs> of different ones, both equipments and uh, new technology ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how, how did you find, not everyone gets to sit on the grant panels or awarding panels or committee panels in a similar way. How did you find the first time you turned up for one of those? Um, that's a very good question. And, and I was very positively surprised. And, and by the way, thank you for the kind of words. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, and, and I was uh, really surprised because I found the, the the panels to be extremely ethical um, in the sense that, you know, there, there are ground rules that are immediately put forward. And some of the ground rules are, for example, we do not tell the names of, uh, of where papers are, are published. We just talk about if someone is working on that aspect of research or not. Nor do we talk about the fact that that lab is already well established. We, we talk about how good the science is and, and will there be an easy capacity to tackle those questions by a lab or not, independently of it being a well-established old lab or a junior lab. So, so, so you know, the, the, the panels are really set to, to leverage the grounds and make it fair for, for everyone else. Um, of course, it's never completely fair uh, because, and it's not completely fair because of the panels, but because of, uh, Either you know very well how the game is played or not, in, in the sense that uh, if you're writing a grant and you have access to other grants that were successful, uh, you, you start understanding what's the style of writing and what's the style of pitching a story um, that often a, a new PI might not have. Uh, so, so I found that extremely ethical. What was surprising to me is how ruthless reviewers can be and that uh, reviewers will often make sure that you know who they are when they are rejecting your grants. And, and I remember, you know, going through my first 50 or 60 grants as a panel member and reading through reviews. And, and on the first box, is it's kind of asking for PBSR sequence. It's, it's asking, why is this reviewer uh, uh, have a background to correctly evaluate this, this grant? Uh, and then they will say, often, uh, because they work on these fields and, and have read these kind of papers, but it's also a chance to, to kind of insinuate a little bit who you are, right? If you say, I am a UK researcher working on super resolution microscopy for the last seven years, uh, <laughs> you will know who that person might be. So, so the first time I saw someone kind of signing their name into a review, I thought, okay, it's a buddy. It's going to be a great review. They're going to help out. But then, no! <laughs> <laughs> they, they would be ruthless and it's like signing a death sentence and making sure that the other PI knows who you are. Um, and I find these, these, these games strange. It, it almost sounds like vengeance. It's, it's something that we do to each other and, and because someone has done it to you once, you will propagate that. Uh, and, and 
it's one of those annoying things. It's not about science anymore. It's it's about competitions, and and I understand why it exists. Uh, at times, it's a question of survival, uh, but uh, it's still. Uh, I, I know panels try to tackle it. Uh, I have tried to tackle it, but unfortunately, there's there's no easy solution to that. Yeah. What, what's what, what's your take on it, by the way? Okay, so I, I, I'm fairly ruthless in my refereeing. I know that. Uh, but I also score highly, so I, I see the weaknesses. And if there's very few weaknesses and you read it really easily, it's almost all I've missed something. Uh, and weaknesses can be good because you can, if they point out a weakness and how they're going to address it, it's a yeah. good indication. Uh, I, I, I think it's pretty open and transparent. Uh, I, I've certainly had some really bad referees in the past, yeah. uh, which are very easy to rebut if they're really bad, because it, it, it just stands out a mile. The hardest referees are those that are, yeah, that was nice. Because yep. they've, they've given you nothing. To nothing. Say, not excellent. <laughs> they're not giving you that to grab, to push on. Yeah. But I think they're pretty, pretty open. I think even if you're on the grant committee meet, if you're on the panel, as you've been on panels, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. You know, yep. once you walk out that room, you have no idea what they're saying about you. You know, it can be good, it's bad. Actually, my tendency is not to look particularly at who the, who the applicant is to start with. I try and read it blind yep. Yep. and get a feel for how good the application is. And I'm, dread, I'm, I'm so bad at remembering things. I will, I will look at who it's from, where it's from, I'll review it, and at the end I'll go, I can't remember who's doing this work. Which hopefully keeps me very unbiased Yeah, yep. uh, yep. without that. And you, I... If it's bad, I'll always go back over it two or three times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if well, it's really good, if it's bad, I have to go back and check I've not missed something. You know, you, you want everyone to win. You just yeah, got yeah. a pecking order. And actually, I get cross with a bad application. You, you know, Pete, I, I think I might have told you this before, but, but there, there is something I love about you in these panels, uh, which is the fact that perhaps above anyone else, you you worry about the staff that will be hired in grant to 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 make sure that that they, they actually are within uh, uh, that there is stable conditions for their that there will be a capacity for 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 a career that they're just not being hired to to work as a, on a monotonous role under the supervisions and ideas of of a, a PI and I. I, I if I hadn't seen that from you, it would be something that I wouldn't have valued, you know, because all of us are, are thinking about what's the big question? What's the science that you want to do here? Are, are those resources done? And we often forget about the people behind that, that science. Uh, and, and in reality, we should actually be worrying very much about the training experience that some of these projects will give. Because, you know, people behind these projects will be the future PIs. Uh, and and they, these projects will set them up on topics they want to do research, uh, but but if we break their legs by giving them often support for only a year, uh, or, or not really enrolling them on somewhere where they, they can progress and grow, um, we're not doing a favor to 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 research. Uh, and I think you're really special from from that perspective. And and I hope to to. Or I've learned from you on that, and I hope to still keep on learning from that side also. Yeah, you're making me blush now. Either that was gone very hot in here. <laughs> Thinking of careers and, and, and breaks, this, this is a lot of your group. And I, I like the fact that you've obviously learned well because you're looking up at them. See, so they're looking down, so you're looking <laughs> up at your group. Developing them. And I know a lot of these have got great track records yeah. and going big themselves. Um, and then I think you were. Yeah, they, they all sing to your song, obviously, and, <laughs> but generally quite serious half the time. <laughs> I know this is a serious one. There you go. <laughs> I don't know what you said, but they look pretty moody on this side. It's <laughs> not so on the other side. I, I, I was blessed with a, a great group when I started. It's still a great group now, but... Um, it's it's a critical time when you start a lab that you get very good people working with you uh, because you need to start fast, you need to establish yourself. 
um, and, and, and you need to, to count on your researchers the same way that they count on you. Um, and, and I couldn't be more proud of the first set uh, of researchers that were there to, to help me on that side. And, and I had the opportunity to, to at times, uh, cherry pick people that I wanted to, to work with me because as a postdoc, I was already for some time kind of thinking, I, I'd love to have him or her working with me. At the same time, there was outstanding surprises that of researchers that I didn't know before. They interviewed to come to the lab, and, and they were outstanding researchers that, that helped us uh, become better than, than I ever imagined. Um, so, so this is a, is a really a picture from, from maybe year number two or number three of the lab. Uh, so many of them have left, and, and I miss them very dearly, actually. They're great. We saw them at conference, which is a great thing from your side. You, you developed their career. They had their own voices. They were presenting at conferences. They were out there with the posters. They were very out there mixing as well. But as for singing, what is your <laughs> I asked you what your favorite film was. What's your favorite song? Oh, favorite song. Um, you got me there. Let, let me uh, think. Uh, favorite group? Favorite artist? Ooh, uh, uh, favorite group probably it's still Smashing Pumpkins uh, or Pearl Jam. Uh, songs is so hard because there are so many good songs. Um, that you always go back to or get happily surprised. Uh, Do you remember your first, you must have been to a concert, I presume? Yes, yes. What was your first concert? My first concert? Uh... You'll see where I'm going in a minute with this. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's really hard to make some breaks during an interview, right? Um, let, let me, it was, okay. Carmen Bizet, uh, where I was one of the singing elements in the choir. That was my first co concert. I was trying to think about what was my first rock concert, where I was not a singer in it. <laughs> um, I was certainly into your songs and your music and stuff, so. I think it was Radiohead. Uh, I, I, I think Radiohead, um, when 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 they came out with uh, with okay androids, yeah. like like my favorite album uh, ever. Um, and and um, I, I wonder if Karma Police is my favorite song. It might be my favorite song, or it's 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 the song where I, I cannot hope but hum to it when I listen to 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 it. Um, Smashing Pumpkins and and Pearl Jam. They also bring back so many beautiful memories uh, of my teenage years. Um, and that's it. O often you, you enlace songs with experiences that you have in your life. Oh, and, and, and they yeah. just bring it back. Uh, and it's crazy, beautiful like that. So certainly in your younger years, it's harder now. But yeah, if you hear a song, you can take it back to that exact place, that time. So you know what year it was. Yeah, but I think yeah, you get to a point where everything starts to blur. Yeah, when you have your children, so Edgar and Iris, you might remember the songs around their early years, or when you're feeding them, or walking them, trying to get them to sleep. After that, everything is a blur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think of the first concerts. Yeah. In a way, what inspired me was just how good a live electric performance I saw in excess. Michael Hutchins live. I, I, it was just awesome. His energy, his activity. Uh, Peter Garrett from uh, Midnight Oil. It was the performance they gave, and they gave it night after night. The same performance with such passion. And I think this then takes us to concert, uh, not concerts, but conferences. Yeah. And you, know, you must remember your first talk. And, and Do I remember my first talk? I, I, I definitely remember the most impactful talk I've ever seen. Um, do I remember my first talk? I think I do, I think I do remember my, my first talk. Yeah, um, I'll, 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 but let me tell you about the, 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 the first big conference I went to. Um, it was 
a conference at EMBL uh, where uh, I don't remember the, the, the title of the conference, but it was a microscopy conference. Uh, I, I hadn't started my PhD yet, but um, uh, Stelza and Stefan Hill were giving talks there. And this was a time where uh, Stefan Hell hadn't, wasn't, uh, I, didn't, I don't think he had published stats yet. So his talk was about 4Py. And Stelz's talk was about PyCheat. And, and obviously they, they hate each other. And, and I didn't know that. Uh, and they were my heroes. Right? I was reading their papers. I knew nothing about the grudges they had against each other. And, and it's, it's like being in a concert seeing your, your A stars and you go like, yeah! And, the, the, and, and so they, the, the conference organizers puts uh, tells us just after uh, Stefan Hell. And, and they go at each other. And, and naively, I, I, I didn't really realize that they were going at each other, right? They were, they were talking about things. Stelza was saying, Microscopes should actually have two objectives. Just people just put it on incorrect angles to each other. They should be at 90 degrees from each other. Otherwise, they're just burning stuff up. And, and, and I was going like, is, is, he, is he talking about that I, I, what, What's going on here? And, and, and then the questions come and they go at each other's own questions. And I go like, wow, it's, it's like WWF fighting in an arena. <laughs> Um, and I, I, you know, it was my, my, it was a conference, it was an action movie, it was a, a surprise, it, it was seeing a, a classical music concert where, where the talks just sounded like perfect music often on what they were doing. And, and it was one of the things that enticed me to, to wanted, wanting to do the development of, of microscopy. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I, I think EMBL actually uh, the same experience. I, I saw both Ernst and Stefan talk at EMBL uh, at a at a course at that point back in two thousand and one. Okay, uh, along with loads of other really inspiring speakers, and at that that at that point I saw that actually microscopy is my career. Not yeah. a specific question, but the technology itself has a long way to go because it. I guess back at 2000, a microscope was a microscope. You had confocal that was doing okay for itself. But wow, there was a lot to explode. And yeah, we started this conversation seven years ago. You started your new super probes and it took seven years. They were talking back in 2001 about 4Pi, which stared as it evolved towards over time, light sheets. And it's really only the last 10 years or so. It took them years before these became really widespread, commercially wide, yeah, yeah. commercially available, useful tools. They had the vision to drive it forward, but where wow, they needed perseverance to get it there. So to both of them are stellar stars, I, I would say, for it. But yeah, but they were both really good speakers. They um, are, they are, and, and they're incredibly defensive. Of, of their uh, path. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say defensive. Maybe the best way to say it is proud uh, and uh, have confidence in their path. So, so anyone that tries to challenge, they, they will explain to you why that is the most useful path <laughs> someone should, should take. Um, I think at times it takes that opportunity for you to become recognized and a really good PI. I, I, I'm always fearful of it at times. Uh, and I realize that sometimes you have to wear that hat, unfortunately. Or fortunately, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I, I remember my first, my first seminar was actually, the first seminar I gave was in Australia, which was yeah. an intimidating place to go. I was on holiday there and got invited to Melbourne. And it was awful. I gave the worst presentation you could. It was so over rehearsed. Yeah, yeah. Gave it to script, and I swore never again. And the best bit of advice I was given: just know your first sentence. And if you roll off the first sentence, just talk about your science, and you'll be fine. And yep. it's putting that energy into it to keep the audience engaged is really important. And 
yeah, your group, yourself and your group certainly do that at conferences. We look forward to their presentations and your presentation because it has energy, it has excitement. So, uh, you know, truly believe in what they've got. And the other thing I'd point out, so this is, I haven't got the full widescreen on Zoom, unfortunately, I didn't pare it down. But just how international your group are as well. And I think that's really important. It's the best scientists coming together to work together, regardless of nationality, that makes a group really successful. Uh, and you need a good leader to keep them working as a team and not competing against each other. And, and well, just look across. You've done exceptionally well there. I remember when I told you that uh, different institutes, different personalities have their advantages or not. I, I often find that um, bringing in different countries also give you different ways to look at things uh, and, and different perspectives uh, from from what you what you have um, one one example that I like to, to think about is uh, for example um, having the ringing Portugal in terms of even wanting to do research we didn't have that much funding so, so, so we learned to, to wing it. And, and, and you'll see that a lot of the research that I do, I, I try to make things cost-effective and, and accessible. And, and it comes from, from that needs and background that I have in terms of um, trying to, to uh, keep things accessible to, to people that don't have money at the end of the day, because we are in privileged conditions and, and many research labs are not. Um, but that might be something that uh, you might have more empathy if you come from that conditions and you might not perceive it uh, uh, in the same level uh, when, when, when you come from, from a place that has more privilege. But also if you come from a place that has more privilege, you have access to more technology and, and you, have, you, you have a better uh, view of, of how to exploit everything that you have at hand instead of trying to build something from scratch that's just focused on it. So, so I, I, I think I was blessed with researchers with many different personalities that's looked at problems in many different directions. I, I, I hope that the places, the diversity of places that they come from contribute towards that. And, and that's always been my kind of uh, perspective. Uh, this is also a great picture for Brexit, right? And, and maybe we should mention it uh, just for a second. Uh, which you is can't, you can't talk about it. You're running away from us. <laughs> <laughs> you're leaving. You're upstate. You're gone. Nah. <laughs> it's 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 not the main reason why I'm leaving, but it is one of the reasons. Um, but but I think the UK is a very special place by having been able to attract such a diversity of researchers to come do research there, uh, and and I think the the the. Uh, the UK researchers benefited so much from that, and the, the foreigners that came benefited so much from getting to, to interact with the, 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 the UK researchers. Um, so it is a pity that it will become more difficult, but goddamn, I will try to keep a connection alive with UK. Even if, if I'm forced to swim, I will be there every time I can and, and it's, it's the place where I've made my lab and I will be attached to it in some way or the other. I, I do, I, without going into politics too deep, uh, I truly hope that the borders stay open for science because yeah. it is the only way. I think COVID has shown that as well. You can't work in isolation. We cannot be an island to ourselves. We have to work together to be far more efficient uh, far more productive and why put money and try and compete against someone else when we can work together and get places faster I, I, I do think so this leads on to this, this, the team that you have here uh, you've obviously got a good camaraderie with so if I'm just going down a few images Aha! <laughs> so, so you're, it's not all work and no play so if you could explain it looks like you're hanging up some silver foil here yeah, so, so, <laughs> uh, Jason Mercer, he's, he, he was a PI at, uh, at the LMCB at the same time uh, that I was. He's now at Birmingham University. 
he is one of my best friends and, and he's great. And, and one of the first things that he did when I started my lab was, um, as you see, I was really stressed about my lab space uh, because it wasn't finalized. I, I wasn't really even aware where the space would be. And, and finally, when it was assigned and I had an office and a lab space, I go there one day and I get an asbestos notice on my door saying, danger, asbestos detected. <laughs> and, and then another saying that the cleaning crew would start working on it. It would take at least six months for them to, to clear it out. And I was freaking out. And, and obviously, because he, we started at the same time, we suddenly became really good friends. He was one of the first persons I went to and I went like, I can't believe what the hell is happening. And, and he, he played a role, right? He was going like, oh, don't worry, let's, let's, let's find someone we can have a chat with. And he's the one that planned the prank. Uh, so after that, for the next years, we pulled pranks on, on each other. Um, so because that, well, there was that cocktail time where, um, uh, where he was going to dress as Superman and me as Batman, the day before, we decided to, to cover um, his entire office in, in foil. And, and what you see there is a paper saying Fortress of Solitude, which is where, where Superman, it's Superman's home in, in the Arctic, right? So, so the foil is to mimic the, the, the Arctic. And the, is it better, does it? Does that, does that? Yeah, that's us after putting in all the foil on, uh, on his office. And that's within his office. That's not just over the door, is it? That is. No. Do, do you see in his office? On, on, on that picture, do you see that there's, there's a piece of paper on, on the right of the door? Uh, no, sorry. On, in this case, it will be. On my, above my head. Oh, on, yes, above your head. Exactly. That's, that's a, a screenshot of um, a WhatsApp message that, um, that I sent him the, the day before, where he didn't know anything about this, right? And I just sent a message saying, Jason, we're running out of foil in the lab. Do you have some I can borrow? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he goes and tells me exactly where all his foil is. <laughs> That's brilliant. And I've, I've just never seen quite so much everywhere. And tell me, uh, on that door opening, is that Superman's feet or something? Yeah, that, that's, that's his suit that he's going to wear the next day that we just hangs on, on the ceiling. And the, the, the thing that we didn't expect is that foil heats up. The, the room was reflected so much sunlight and, and uh, somehow it reflects heat so much that it was so hot inside. So, so he loved it. He, he, he was amazed by it and, and laughed like crazy, but he wasn't able to stand for more than 30 minutes inside that room because it was so hot. <laughs> okay, we only have a couple of minutes left. And so you sent me this, and I have no idea what this, these pictures are about. That's my first prank for Jason's office. Uh, so, so that's the beginning. We, we covered it in pictures of um, Justin Bieber. And, and, and the funny thing is we, we ate up and had small pictures that we cut around uh, that we put everywhere. Uh, there was his running shoes that we had pictures of Justin Bieber inside. It, it was so contaminated by pictures of Justin Bieber that I think that even years after we pulled the prank, he was still opening drawers and there was pictures <laughs> appearing somewhere. <laughs> Bieber confetti everywhere. Yes, yes. You know, the, the, you need people like this, right? That the uh, uh, institutes can be so serious and can be so stressful at times. And, and you just need a buddy to pull a prank on you, to, to, to bring you back to earth and, and to realize that, you know, things are fun. And not, not all, research is not only fun for the discovery, it's, yeah. it's fun for, for the interactions. And, and I've been so lucky to have him uh, as, as uh, a friend and partner in research for the last years. And I think we would have done as well as we have. Uh, without him. So, this, this sort of leaving on this, 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 this wonder, you're now going over to Portugal, to IGC. How many of your group are going with you? So, thus far, no one is going to permanently move. Um, so, so, you're going to be starting, you're going to, obviously, 
you've got your, your position still at uh, UCL. Yeah. Uh, so they, they'll maintain and they can carry. So that's, that's fine for them. But you've got a whole new, whole new chapter starting up a whole new set of group. Uh, so actually people watching this or listening to this, yeah, if you want good fun, entertainment, you yep. know who to call. Yes, well, that's Ghostbusters. That's no good. We can't know who you're going to <laughs> It's not the right thing, is it? You're going you're gonna to have to get a big torch with a big, uh, oh, I want a job, sort of Batman type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work. The, the, the good news is that um, obviously I'm, I'm worried about the, the group in UK in the sense of uh, move, I wouldn't ask anyone to move under a pandemic. Um, but the good news is that Portugal is doing well and uh, I hope I will be able to attract Searches to, to compare, and when things are safe, I will bring some of the lab members that they visit in UK uh, to here. Um, I, I I have open positions, and anyone that is listening, I'm I'm always happy to chat uh, about collaborating or or even bring you on board uh, to the lab. So uh, I hope it will remain an exciting place in Portugal. It will remain definitely an exciting place in UK. I will be remotely connecting back. Uh, with a lab, and it will be a fun new adventure. And uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you're happy to talk about Die Hard, uh, <laughs> Batman, or, or, Spider-Man, Beetlejuice. I think Beetlejuice is a great movie. Oh, it's just a bit the game. Ruined <laughs> it for me. It was never right. Not on the top of it. Oh, yeah. So much more we could talk about, but I do realize that our time is up. Uh, I, I had some more great photos from your group, uh, storyboards and stuff. We just haven't. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do it over a beer soon, Pete. <laughs> Another time. Ricardo, you have been brilliant to listen to. Hopefully, uh, give a good idea of how to balance some of that work and entertainment. Keep that energy. Thank right. you. And when you get over to IGC, make sure you keep that fun, engagement, can do attitude going because it's been brilliant to work with over here i look forward to working with it wherever you end up next after this <laughs> ricardo thank you very much thank you for the invitation it, it was great fun to have a chat with you yeah, cheers all right ciao bye thank you for listening to the microscopists a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by zeiss microscopy to view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the microscopists.